In 2021, David Gardner, head of fintech at TLT, spoke to Nils Pedersen, the senior lecturer who runs a fintech school for our lawyers, about fintech's growing influence on business, including what we're starting to learn about this technology and how it's going to affect businesses in the future. So, Nils, I suppose to start with, I was interested to chat to you about why you started the programme. Well, we we set up the the programme because... uh, we saw a gap in the market for um, what I would call a conduit degree. So a mix between a technology computer science degree and a business and or finance degree uh, because both skill sets are in demand. So if, if you go out into the world, you have lots of techies and you have lots of people with uh, what are called soft skills. Very few people who can gap between the two camps. And that's what we aim to do with a degree, uh, to build people who have uh, what I would call soft skills and also a, a very thorough understanding of the technology. That rings true very much from my perspective as an advisor. A lot of our role is to try and bring together those two sides and take an example of something like um, big data and AI automated um, data mining. That's something where you can't really advise on that if you've just read the GDPR or just the relevant bit of the data protection legislation. You really need to understand a bit more about what's what's going on with algorithms, what's going on with the development of, of AI and how that's being used. Uh, when I was in school, I was told, you know, you need to know how to use the technology. You don't need to understand it. But the world has changed so much in the last 25 years that well, actually, whatever profession you're in, whether it's accounting, law, medicine, uh, any kind of profession is, is being changed by, as you mentioned, AI, automation, uh, and all manner of technologies. So you do actually need to have some understanding of how these things work. Uh, otherwise, you, you risk being becoming redundant. Yeah, I've um, had lots of very interesting conversations with with my wife who's a nurse about how her role as a clinician has changed as she's had to look at how to implement te- technology solutions into into her practice so moving from paper to um, digitally recording observations on um, on tablets and then how those are stored how those can be examined and audited and again bringing in AI and bringing in automation to look for trends, you know, that, that's a huge piece where it's important to understand very clearly how that works from a personal perspective. Are the nurses and doctors using those tablets in the right way? But then also at a quite a deep level, what, what information are we collecting? Why are we collecting it? What are we going to do with it? And bringing it back perhaps to fintech, it's, it's quite interesting to see how this affects everyone, because everyone is participating in some way in in the financial system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We don't have a choice, right? But because to to pay the rent or to pay the electricity or get food, we have to use money. And as a society uh, and businesses and people, we're all too happy to use technology for you know, very specific things. So, so I would imagine it in the case of your wife, it would be, you know, gathering data about, say, the health of the patients um, and trying to, in, in order to try to make things better. 
but uh, though, though we seek very specific answers, our use of technology gives rise to all sorts of questions. So, so I, I think you, you, you mentioned data protection issues um, uh, and, and you know, how people actually engage with it. We employ them. We employ technology to be used in certain ways, but, but then there's always the human element. And I think it's it's really important not only to, you know, there's a focus on making technology better, but but we also need to to train ourselves as people and, and professionals to c- become better at using technology. And the same goes from a finance perspective where um, fintech solutions can be used not only to give you information, but also to try and help you to make better decisions and give you information that allows you to make choices and have access to um, to financial products that you wouldn't otherwise be able to, to get hold of because you can have a detailed analysis of your spending habits above and beyond what's possible on a standard credit check. That means you can then potentially access credit in a way you couldn't before. You can get advice from an app where you wouldn't perhaps seek out or be able to afford to go and speak to a financial advisor. You wouldn't think to do that, but if it's available on an app, then it's suddenly more accessible. Yes. I mean, when I speak to my students, I always say that when they ask, well, what is fintech, right? You know, it's it's a, a contraction of the words finance and technology. Sure. Uh, but um, if you just go with that basic level definition, uh, you're kind of missing the point because... Uh, technology is being applied to finance to make it cheaper, faster, easier, and more convenient, but, but also more accessible. And that, that's where the, um, uh, the humanity of it comes in. And that's where I, I think, uh, well, well there, there are many issues to explore within that space at a professional services level, at a policymaking level, at a, and a business level. I agree. And it's it's incumbent on on businesses and policymakers to understand how how those technologies operate, but then also how they're used in practice. Because whilst you can point consumers in the direction of good choices, you can equally point them in the direction of, of bad choices or use all that information that you have about them to to put put people at risk, to potentially try and defraud them or to to um, use it, use that same technology for nefarious ends. Well, well, I'd say in a fintech context, um, bad actors uh, are always going to try to do, use technology for for bad ends, right? But but I think what one of the things that can be uh, preempted and prevented is helping people understand how technology works, helping them understand the risks. Uh, the upsides, the downsides, and thereby make them more able to to use these tools, these wonderful technological tools that we're given, whether it's blockchains, AI, APIs, uh, cloud computing, use them appropriately and thereby minimize the risks of, uh, say, let's say consumer detriment or uh, data loss or, or anything really going wrong. I think that there is a conversation to be had about that. So, for example, I would venture that this conversation is going through a cloud platform, perhaps somewhere in Alaska or Iceland. And the the frightening thing, according to uh, research by McAfee, uh, 
very few IT professionals have a, a firm grasp on the risks and the extent of the use of, of cloud computing. And so, so if, if the lack of knowledge is so pervasive in, with, amongst IT professionals, well, then, it, then it's, it's even more lacking amongst the rest of us. And so a lot of issues relating to, uh, say, financial crime, uh, cybercrime, hacking, et cetera, can, can be prevented by, by awareness at all levels of uh, an organization. Yeah, agreed. And I think what's often missed out when, when techies in particular, they, they often focus on the, the nuts and bolts without necessarily seeing the bigger picture. So it's, it's understanding that human layer. And again, the good advice and the good mm. learning comes from understanding the interaction between the technology and, and its, its use in practice. So, so whilst we do need to add the interface to the technology to, to make it more usable, uh, we also need to upgrade the software uh, inside the humans. Yes. So it's, it's a two-way street. Yeah, completely. And, and that goes for developing new products in fintech as well, and understanding what, what is your consumer base. If you're a, a financial services business or you're a fintech with a great idea, who's going to use that? How will they use it? Will they understand the proposition that you're putting forward? Will they appreciate that the, the exchange might not be a, a payment in cash, but might be a payment in sharing data? And is that a conscious trade-off or, or not? Because if it's not, then you're, you're going to run into difficulties when your customers are dissatisfied if they discover that. And also if you if you run afoul of, um, of data protection or other, other regulations about how you need to treat your customers fairly. Well, it's interesting you, you mentioned the user experience with a product or service uh, from the perspective of the provider uh, they think of cost or uh, the service level or the quality, but from the perspective of the consumer, we, yeah, we think of cost too, but we also think of ease of use, uh, uh, any hassle, how much time we have to spend. Some people are fine using apps uh, and some people are not. Now, now, I don't think it's either or. So, so for example, um, th- there's an app called MyEva and, and it's a... Um, it's a robo advisor, but it's not a pure robo advisor in that it's not an app that just gives you financial advice. It's an app that surveys the consumer's financial needs, and then it puts them in touch with a an appropriate, say, mortgage advisor or financial advisor. And and I I think that there is a future for, for a lot of solutions and a lot of businesses. So use technology where it improves the user experience, where it makes it quicker and more convenient, and then deploy a human touch where the the users they need it. So so where they have the greatest level of uncertainty, yeah, and where they need the most help. So perhaps the technologies that will be more successful are the ones that don't try and prescribe the answer, don't try and prescribe or, or take a guess at who, who you are, but actually respond and give you, give you intelligent options about what you need to do. One thing I was interested to talk to you about was any particular areas that you see as 
as of particular interest going forward, you know, in the, in the, in the short to medium term, we've talked about blockchain briefly. We've talked about perhaps AI, machine learning, uh, big data. These are, these are very powerful tools. And I suppose one thing that strikes me is they're becoming more pervasively embedded in, in the financial system, in the way the system operates, in the way decisions are made. And that, that means the risks become greater because it's not just an individual risk for me using one product. It's actually this, this platform is based on the assumption that these technologies work and, and work appropriately. I think that the blockchain technology will be used behind the scenes uh, increasingly because it is, it is difficult to understand. It's difficult to apply you know, you, you need quite a high-level skill set. So, so I don't think w- without a user interface, that I don't think blockchain is appropriate for consumer solutions. Now that said, you, you could say the same about email, right? So, so email works because there's a very good user interface on top. In fact, blockchain and email rely on very similar technology under the bonnet. And so uh, I'd say that's probably what the way blockchain is going to go. And yes, we may have private currencies like Bitcoin, but they won't. It won't. They won't feel different to spend than the the way you do things now. Currencies aside, I think uh, the potential of blockchain to to cut paperwork behind the scenes is phenomenal, and I think organizations will be. Uh, certainly financial institutions will be looking to do more of that as a way of cutting costs. I think there's there's a, a big potential uh, for financial institutions and above all banks to uh, play a role in being authentication interfaces, things like know your customer, anti-fraud checks. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they decide to work together, but whether they are you know, conventional retail banks, investment banks, challenger banks, uh, insurance companies, because anti-money laundering is a cost center and and so is, you know, anti-fraud. And generally, banks don't compete on their ability to stop fraud. So so they, they have more to gain from collectivizing this effort. The whole industry has something to gain from rates of fraud across the board. We see that already in a number of areas where institutions are starting to work together between themselves collectively or with with organisations that would traditionally be seen as their competitors. So a lot of the challenger banks and the neobanks have realised that they have created very efficient infrastructure because they've designed their solutions to be API ready, to be open banking ready, and they're delivering services which they realise they can actually market to other players in the financial system. And in terms of a future prediction from my perspective, I think that kind of distributed financial system is likely to be accel- like to accelerate and, and become the new reality where so many different players outside of the traditional financial service market will come into play. And that that goes from very big tech players like um, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, 
who are developing their their products. They're very ambitious, very innovative, and have got lots of investment behind them in many cases. And then the reaction from the existing financial players has been interesting to see because we're, we're fortunate enough to work with um, companies and organisations in, in all those spaces. The, the larger banks in particular, where we speak to speak to them, they're very much alive to these um, possibilities and these competitors, and they are not standing still either. They're thinking about how they can compete by launching their own solutions or actually being alive to the fact that in some cases they can't compete on their own terms because of their overheads, their regulatory status, their compliance obligations. But in that case, can they partner or can they um, contract with other players and get the benefit of, of their innovations a different way? But, but it'd be interesting to ask um, existing banks, uh, building societies, payment service providers, do you, as your ambition, do you want to be an authentication hub or would you rather continue to do a lot of the other things that you do? But if you, if you don't keep an eye on this area then you may be pushed into a position that that's, that's what's open to you, that's what's available to you because other players have come in and, and chipped away at your existing customer base and your existing proposition and done so with an, a new idea, a better app, a lower cost base. I think all, all that realignment is, is definitely in progress and, and likely to accelerate. There's that systemic point that I, I mentioned briefly earlier on that not only is there a personal risk to me if I'm using an app that gives me the wrong answer or misuses my data, there's a systemic risk if every financial institution is operating based on Amazon Web Services or Microsoft Azure. If everyone at that platform level shares the same infrastructure, then they share the same risks. And we've seen regulatory moves in that space as well, where there's increasing demands on financial institutions to document how they are outsourcing services, how they're using the cloud. Uh, have you got any final thoughts or remarks? I thought I'd want to ask you about uh, the image people have of lawyers you know, maybe I've watched too many films, but my image in my mind is someone who sits in an office, uh, maybe somewhere in Holborn with, you know, very high ceilings, even higher bookshelves, <laughs> and they read through dusty old statute books. How do you think technology is going to change that image uh, in, say, let's say the next 10 years? So I think the reality is the business of law is changing already. If I look at how we use uh, technology at TLT, it's it's a world of difference from how we worked even five years ago, probably using technology that didn't exist, say, 10 years ago. So the the legal tech element across our business is is huge. And our our future law initiative is one that is is pervasive. It's not just an add-on anymore. It's a it's a core part of how we do what we do. And I'll give you a couple of examples. We have um, a product called TLT Legal Sifter, which allows you to use AI to review contracts and do so in, in a matter of seconds. And that's a tool that we use ourselves in the, in the business because it helps our lawyers be quicker 
um, more efficient, more consistent. We also use it um, to offer service to our clients. So that's a subscription that our clients can sign up to. And in a way, that's that's doing the same service that we've always done, reviewing contracts, but in a different in a different mode. But on the other hand, it's actually quite a sea change because it's a law firm as a, a SaaS provider, software as a service provider. And the interesting part there is, is we understand that the AI and the tool can do a lot of the heavy lifting and can pick up the pervasive points that come up time and time again. But we provide that as a service with a helpline attached. So if you've got a query about an edge case or something where you see you see the standard response, but your your particular scenario doesn't fit squarely within it, then you can speak to a, a qualified lawyer and they can advise you. I think the expectations of law firms from clients will, will change and we will be expected to provide um, document management solutions. We'll be expected to provide you know, fast automated reporting, not um, I'll, I will put together a bespoke spreadsheet that will be with you in two weeks' time about the matters we're working on for you. I think that that expectation from clients will start to start to increase and to be successful you'll need to you need to be alive to that in, in the same way that if you're a bank or a or a financial institution it's no longer an option to say we only deal in cash it's no longer an option to say we only take checks you know that those those expectations have completely changed 